Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Degnan. And to all the moms, a very happy Mother's Day. This week, we're going to be talking about a cancer that's not as common as most cancers, but does affect one in every 250 males each year. Testicular cancer is our topic, and we're going to be hearing the details from urologic oncologist from Geisinger Medical Center in Danville. We love our pets, and May is National Pet Month. We also have with us the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, who joins us to give us some great tips on how we can keep our pets healthy and happy. Starting us off, we're going to meet Kathy Reap. She says it's care partner rather than caregiver, and I think she's right about that. Kathy is the owner and head coach of Rocksteady Boxing Northeast Pennsylvania. Rocksteady Boxing has locations in Old Forge and Tunkanic. Rocksteady Boxing is geared toward those who are dealing with Parkinson's disease. It's not just for the boxing, but as Kathy tells us, it's about the camaraderie, getting your body strong, your mind strong, and your voice strong too. Kathy, it's a pleasure to have you here. We're going to talk about something that many people in our area have, uh, I'm sure they have come to know by now, and you are Rocksteady Boxing Northeast PA. First of all, tell us about Kathy Reap and where you came from and how you got to be doing this now. Okay, great. Thanks for having me, Paul. I really appreciate being here today. My background is I'm a physical therapist, and I worked in a variety of um, areas of physical therapy, but um, towards the end of my career, it's primarily either in skilled nursing or in home health at the time. And my husband got diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2015, and he was 54 years old at the time, working full-time. His um, initial symptoms were just a, a tremor on the left hand and some in the left foot. With my experience, you know, I knew where Parkinson's was going. I've seen more end-stage Parkinson's with my career at the beginning of the stage because in the types of settings I was working in, I didn't see people right when they were first diagnosed. And I kept thinking, boy, we got to do something that's going to either slow down this disease or stop it or because I knew that the medications just treat symptoms. So anyway, long story short, I looked into what was available and it was all news to me. I didn't realize how much research had gone in in Parkinson's since I had been in school and how these exercise programs could really make a difference in people's um, quality of life and slow the disease down. And we saw Rocksteady Boxing and thought it was pretty amazing. There were no Parkinson's exercise programs in our area at all. So we went to New Jersey, tried out a Rocksteady Boxing class. Actually, at the time, it was the only location in the state of New Jersey. We thought it was amazing. And the, the coach there said, Kathy, with your background, I know you could get this up and going in um, your area, Northeast Pennsylvania. And we gave it a shot. I went to the headquarters and and we got started in 2016, uh, opening our first Rock City Boxing. You have been involved in this. And again, with a, having a family member, especially your husband, being affected by Parkinson's disease, that also gives you another 
a whole different light on everything that goes with it, as you said, from the very beginning and not being a Parkinson's medical professional. But can you just give us a little bit of a background from what that was like from a caregiver's perspective? And and you mentioned the fact of the trimmers as they as they first started. So I want to kind of get how that went into going further as far as Parkinson's is concerned going on. But in the very beginning, what was that like for you as a caregiver? John was so independent and he still is. He still is. And I and I, I give a lot of credit to the fact that he's been exercising since 2016. Actually, even before that, before we opened Rocksteady, once we saw what the power of exercise was, John and I were not big exercisers. This was not like, oh, yeah, we love exercising. Let's just start this. We were like, no, exercise is what's going to save our life. And we just got started before we even opened Rocksteady Boxing. I don't even consider myself a caregiver. I like the term care partner. We feel like we're in this together. Yes, he's the one that has the disease, but it's going to affect both of us. And again, with my background in physical therapy, Knowing what could lie ahead, doing something about it made a big difference for us. What I was really thrilled to learn about is with all the, the, the knowledge that they've learned about the disease, I wish they had a cure. I wish they had a medicine that would stop it. Right now, they don't. But they've learned a lot about lifestyle and about activity and about exercise to the point where they really feel like it is possible to not get to that point where you're wheelchair bound or you're, you might not, you're still going to progress. I wish I could say he hasn't progressed over the last, actually it's been eight years now, eight years since he's been diagnosed. He has progressed, but he's still um, doing really well. And that's the beauty of, we have a lot of hope. And when you don't have hope, then you really, you start to think, oh, well, it's inevitable. Oh, I'm just going to get worse. Oh, and we don't have that. And so I think that really helps. Yes, it's progressed, but we're fighting back. I think that's important for people to hear. And I, I love the, the term care partner. I wish I had heard that much sooner than you just said it right now. <laughs> it would have come in very handy. But when, when you're talking about something like this, there are so many people who do uh, get affected by Parkinson's and then they automatically, like you said, you know, they kind of just say, well, all of this is inevitable. But you and your husband now are the living proof that this can make a difference. So let's talk about Rocksteady Boxing Northeast PA. What goes into that? Because I know I've heard about it before. And in my own life, I my husband was affected by Parkinson's and we talked about it. And his big concern was, how can I do that? I've got this and I, I do this and I don't do that. So what do you tell people who come to see you, Kathy? I, I love that question. I wish I got to know your husband sooner. We say the sooner you start exercising, the better. You can start rock steady boxing from day of diagnosis. You don't have to wait until you're impaired. But we also say, it's never too late to start. Everyone who comes to our program, they get a one-on-one -on -one assessment to begin with. And it's a great opportunity that I hear their history, what they've been through, what, what their problems are. Because it's such a unique disease. Everyone presents with different symptoms. You would think, oh, Parkinson's, this is what to expect. Oh, every single person comes with a different set of symptoms. It's really, it's unpredictable. I'll, I'll say that. And they, they get to see what the facility's like, what we do. But based on that assessment, we place them in a class that we feel is most appropriate to them. So I have classes for all different levels, not just of Parkinson's, but also levels of fitness and levels of uh, mobility. Because people come to Parkinson's and they have maybe diabetic neuropathy. They already have balance issues. Or maybe they've had knee replacements or shoulder replacements. Or maybe they just got diagnosed. They're still working full time and they're like, oh my gosh, what, what can I do with this? We've had people from being able to still run 5Ks to people who come in in a wheelchair, but yet we can accommodate them because we have different levels of classes to meet their needs. 
and we modify everything. Say you have a bad shoulder. Well, then we're not going to have you hit hard with that arm. Maybe just go through the range of motion with it, but still participate in the class because there's so many other benefits that just because you can't do one thing doesn't mean you can't do something else. If you can't stand when you box, then you sit when you box. It's customized, modified for that person. Is this something that someone's doctor would have to sign off on in order for them to get involved? No, they do not need a doctor's prescription because it's considered fitness. I do ask them to get a physician medical release from their primary care physician. I don't really even need it from their neurologist. To my knowledge, all the neurologists that I know right now promote our program and suggest it and are very happy with it because we know it's good for Parkinson's. But there could be other underlying medical things that I just like to be aware of. So, you know, most of them come with, they see no no reason why they can't participate, but they might put something like avoid right shoulder or higher than, but it's just really um, a medical release. And it's not even anything that's mandatory, but um, I try to get one on each person just so that I have uh, just a clearance that their primary care doctor knows what they're participating in and can give me any guidance if they have any concerns. That's all. Because again, there are there are some complications that come along with Parkinson's. So again, that's one of the things. So what are you focusing on then when you're doing rock steady boxing Northeast PA? Are you focusing on being able to walk without trouble? Are you focusing on strength or uh, what what exactly are you looking at, Kathy? So the program is very, very well-rounded. You know, you hear boxing, you think, oh, you come and all we do is box. One of the things that I'm the most proud of is the fact that our program is so well-rounded. It's more than just boxing. So when you come in and we get ready to start the class, we usually start out together as a group. We do uh, something called a get to know you question while we are doing some um, light dynamic active stretching. So it's really taking your body through all of its range of motion. It's not static where you're holding the muscles. The more you're just going through all the ranges of motion in your body while we go around and answer a question. It's dual tasking, which is making you have to think, use your voice. We know voice is also involved with Parkinson's. You need to speak loud enough that all the people in the class can hear you while you're also maybe doing some you know, a little trunk rotation, lifting your knees, doing some light squats, just kind of getting the body moving. We're kind of getting warmed up. And and it also builds a sense of camaraderie. We have some laughs. We can ask some funny questions. We can, it could be anything, you know, what was your favorite subject in high school? You know, people say recess or, you know, girl watching. We have a fun, we just have fun. It's a fun class. After that, we'll do a warm up. And that's the point of the warm up is to Start getting the body warmed up, getting the heart rate going a little bit, get ready for exercise. Sometimes we build games into that um, or have fun activities. Sometimes it's more just getting warmed up. After that, we usually will go to the boxing. Everyone will get their boxing gloves on. The point of the boxing is, number one, it's unique. It's fun. It's something most people haven't done. So they're learning new body movements. Again, everything with Parkinson's, we're not just exercising the body. We're trying to also challenge the brain because it's a brain disease. So they're learning new movement patterns. They have to work on keeping their balance. They're weight shifting. They're coordinating. I'll say, okay, we're going to throw a one, two, three. Well, you have to know what a one, two, three is. So, and then after the boxing, so we do the boxing for a while. Then we will take a break. Everyone gets their gloves off, has another drink of water. Every day is a different routine. It's never the same. We either do a circuit where you go station to station and do different things, or sometimes we do things as a group. Sometimes we'll do something where they're following a routine on their own. But the point of the second half is that's where we can do some general aerobic type exercise. We might do balance challenges. We can do um, dual tasking, which is doing two activities at the same time. Maybe you're moving your feet up and down on a step while you're just tapping the step with your toes. At the same time, you're doing math challenges with a partner, or you could be doing fine motor coordination while you're naming things, or it could be different things. We work on the hands. It's just so varied. Oh, and then in that section also, we will incorporate Parkinson-specific exercises. And one of the one program that we like to use a lot, I'm certified in it as well as Rock City Boxing, is called Parkinson's Wellness Recovery. So we do Parkinson-specific exercises to work on 
especially working on their flexibility, their posture, their awareness of where they are in space, because sometimes their posture is changing and they don't even realize it because it's so subtle and so gradual. So they learn a lot about Parkinson's and how to combat it, even at home, not just in the class. We do some core exercises, we do a cool down, and then we do a cheer at the end to end the class on a, on a big positive note altogether. If someone is hearing this and they're thinking this would be something for myself, my loved one, how do they get in touch with you in order to find out more about this and uh, maybe make a, make a plan to come and see you? We usually, again, start with that one-on-one assessment, um, or they could just call and ask questions. I'm always willing to talk to people. One thing about Rock City Boxing is it also becomes a clearinghouse of information about Parkinson's. A lot of people feel really alone on this journey. They don't even know anyone else with Parkinson's. So we have so many great resources at the gym. But if they want to know more, because I've sat and had conversations with people that haven't even joined the gym, but we've just gotten to know each other um, over the phone or said, you know what, maybe you need a little physical therapy or whatever it might be. They can call me at 570-817-4307, or they can email me. And my email address, it's about the Rock Steady Boxing. So it's R for Rock, S steady and then the word boxing so rs boxing n-e-p-a at gmail.com and you also have uh not just one but you have what two locations now i do i have i have two locations the one i started with was an old forge we opened in 2016 and then we have a second location in tonkanic and that one opened in 2019 it's been a uh, really great having the two of them together We have a coach where we have a person who has Parkinson's who boxes with me in Old Forge. And when he first started with me, it wasn't too long when he said, Kathy, you know what? You're not going to be able to do this all by yourself. Can I become a coach? So he has Parkinson's, became a coach in 2017, and um, he lives out in the Tonkanic area. He said, you know, there's a lot of people out there that may not be able to make the trip to Old Forge or they live further than Tonkanic. We have people that come to our Tonkanic location from the shopping or Wyalusing or so different areas out there. So he's amazing. He boxes with us on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays in Old Forge. And then he's one of my coaches out in Tonkanic and their classes are on Tuesdays, Thursdays. And some people also come in on Saturday as well. So before I have to let you go, but I'm going to have you back because oh. there's, there's so much more I'd like to talk about with you. So what would you like to, for this time around, leave with our audience, Kathy, so that they know what's available, so that they don't just think, as you said in the very beginning, it's inevitable? What I'd like to leave with them, I think, is that not to be afraid of the exercise, because no matter where you are at your stage in Parkinson's or even where you are with your overall physical abilities, we can modify it because the benefits are more than the physical benefits. There's the emotional and the social benefits. Parkinson's tends to be a very isolating disease. People become self-conscious about how they, they look or they get less and less in the, the community. And we build a community at Rock City Boxing. We feel like we're a family. And so there's an amazing support system there. And at the same time, you're doing something really good for your body at the same time. So I think that's the part I'd want to leave them with. That it's, it's more, you know, because you could go home and you could have a treadmill and you could, or you could have a stationary bike or, but you're missing the social component and also the challenging. It's more than the body. The exercises that we do are also challenging the brain, challenging the voice, all the components of Parkinson's because it's so multifaceted. Kathy, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated you asking me to be here today, Paula. Oh, yeah, I'm not done with you yet. Don't worry. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thanks once again to Kathy Reap, owner and head coach with Rocksteady Boxing, Northeast Pennsylvania, locations in Old Forge and Tunkanic. And you can find out more by giving her a call, 570-817-4307. Or you can send her an email, rsboxingnepa at gmail.com. They also have a website that you can check out too. 
Now, don't go away. May is National Pet Month, and of course, we love our pets. We're going to meet American Veterinary Medical Association President Dr. Lori Teller. She's going to tell us about some great tips for keeping our pets healthy and happy, next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Our pets, we love them. We hope they're happy and, of course, healthy. The president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. Lori Teller, is here, and she's going to give us some tips about keeping pets healthy, happy, and safe. And that includes maybe taking them on vacation. There are certain things that you need to think about. Dr. Teller is here, and she's going to tell us all about them. Dr. Teller, we love our pets. We want to take care of them. We want to make sure that they're going to be with us for a long time. So where do we start when we're talking about pets, especially when we're talking about summertime and maybe let's start with traveling with them. I'd love to travel with my pets. Be prepared. Make sure you have appropriate amounts of dog food or cat food. Have some kind of permanent ID. So of course you want collar and tags, but also make sure your pet's microchipped. Uh, It's it's easy in different environments for them to potentially get loose. And along with having them microchipped, make sure your contact information is updated in the database for the microchip. Take your pet's medications with you. If they are on any, make sure you have enough to cover the time that you are going to be gone. It's also a good idea to have a copy of their medical records, particularly their vaccine records. Know where you're going, how you're going to get there, and that the places that you're going to stay allow pets to be there. So make sure the hotel or your family or friends that you may be visiting are going to welcome your pets. Take a couple of favorite toys, perhaps their favorite blanket or what, or their favorite bed, uh, just to make it as comfortable as possible. And then if you are driving long distances, if your pet gets motion sickness, you want to have something on hand to deal with that. And if your pet will be flying, um, make sure the airline has been alerted and that you've made a reservation for your pet as well. All right. Very good. We have some Good ways to get, because I love to travel with my pet too, so we have a good start. So now, let's move up just a little bit, because again, when we take our pets places, we want to make sure that everyone gets along. So what about socializing our pets? Sometimes they're great when they're at home with us, they're perfect, but then they get out into the other world and say, wait a minute, maybe I'm not so good out here. So what can we do? It's really important to start socializing your pets when, when they're young, particularly the, the best times to socialize your pets are when they're young, young puppies or kittens. Exposing them to a wide variety of experiences, different locations, different people. This means children, adults, and senior citizens. Get them around people who may use walkers or wheelchairs screaming toddlers, so they're used to those kinds of noises, and then let them absorb different experiences outside, take them on walks in different areas, dog parks, if they can tolerate that. It's also a great idea to take your pet to an obedience or training class. Uh, In those situations, they're interacting with other animals, and they're also learning very common basic commands so that when you are out, You'll know that if you call them, they'll come to you, or if you need them to sit and stay at your side, they'll do that. Or if you're out walking and they pick something up that they shouldn't, you can tell them to drop it, and they'll drop it. All of those things can be really important. If your pet does seem to be nervous or anxious in new situations uh, or around a lot of strange people, really good idea to talk to your veterinarian. Get a, a full behavior plan on ways to help ease them into getting along with others and feel more comfortable in those situations. In some cases, they may even need some medicine to help alleviate some of their anxieties. Is there a way in order to introduce pets? As you said, we're traveling and we go and we stay with someone who may have a pet in their home. Is there some kind of a way that we can assure that we can introduce them safely together? 
ideally you would introduce them on neutral territory that could be out in a front yard, maybe even a fenced backyard, which isn't so much neutral territory, but at least there's space for the animals to, to come together and separate and, and find their own areas. Uh, it's going to be really hard if your pet is not comfortable around other dogs, throwing them suddenly into a situation where they have to be friendly with a dog they do not know. So definitely worth talking to your veterinarian about that. And never leave uh, dogs that are not comfortable or cats comfortable with each other alone, unsupervised. In those situations, they should always be supervised. And if necessary, uh, if you're traveling with your pet, uh, have a kennel or know that there's a room where they can be separated so that each animal has its own place to calm down, take a break. Because animals, just like people, sometimes don't always hit it off when they first meet. And so many people say, my pets get along with everybody. They, you know, they like all, but then all of a sudden you run into somebody who, especially when other pets get right into their face. And sometimes you find out that they don't like that, just like humans don't like those kind of things either. That's right. Some pets are better at reading the room and reading social cues just as it is with people. So it's important to know your pet, especially when you're traveling with your pet. And some pets really just aren't meant to travel. They may be more homebodies. And so if you are going to travel and your pet really is not comfortable with that, then it may be better to find a pet sitter um, to stay with your pet at home or find a kennel or boarding facility that your pet can be comfortable in. Uh, a lot of times that may be the best option to keep your pet happy and comfortable. And that is very important. Let's talk a little bit more about, because sometimes we don't, about our senior pets. And I have a cat. She's going to be 15 in July. She's very happy. She gets, a well, she doesn't get along with everyone, but that's okay because she doesn't go out very much. Her diet has changed a little bit. Her habits have changed a little bit. What can we do for our senior pets? The best thing you can do for your senior pets is get regular veterinary care. Of course, we recommend annual exams for all our pets, but our senior pets may even need that more frequently. Um, They do start to develop diseases that we associate with older animals, whether that's heart disease, kidney disease, arthritis, those kinds of things. And so really important to stay on top of those because the earlier that we can intervene, the more likely we are to slow down the progression of these problems and keep our pets more comfortable and and provide them a better quality of life for a longer period of time. And you brought up a great point about the diet. Just like us, pets are more prone to weight gain and having a harder time losing it as they get older. So we want to manage their weight for for their health easier if you have arthritis, heart disease, those kinds of things, to be slim and trim versus overweight. And there are also special diets available for animals that may have kidney disease or heart disease or arthritis. And we also want to be cognizant of their risk for dementia. Some animals do suffer from cognitive decline, and so their dietary changes, we can help support them with that as well as making sure they're still getting mental stimulation, whether that's going on walks or playing with games, using puzzle toys to feed them. All of those things can also help maintain their quality of life. And with her being a cat, one of the other things that I've noticed is she was always very particular in grooming herself. Now we're seeing, I'm seeing more mats uh, in her coat and sometimes she was never one to want to sit down and want to get um, brushed a lot. So are there things that we can do in those situations as far as helping our pets groom themselves rather than taking them to a groomer because that didn't work out so well in the past? (laughs) Yeah, lots of cats are not fans of going to the groomer and some dogs aren't either. What you're doing is exactly the right thing. Brushing or combing our pets on a regular basis. Make it a pleasant experience for them. Find a favorite treat or food uh, and do it while they're relaxed. And it may be that you can only, particularly with cats, perhaps only get the back end in one session and at the next session get the front end. 
And of course, if they do become very matted, then it may warrant a trip to the veterinarian where they can give a light sedative, get those mats off, do a hygienic shave around their their rear end, uh, just to help them help themselves stay clean. Well, she heard every word you said, Doctor Teller, and she just <laughs> told me I will I will let you do it instead of going to the vet. <laughs> That's fair. (laughs) Now, are there any other topics that maybe we haven't covered yet that you would like our listeners to know about? The other thing that we deal with in the summertime, of course, a lot of areas are prone to uh, natural disasters, hurricanes, fires, tornadoes, things like that. So definitely recommend being prepared ahead of time. Perhaps have a bag packed with your pet necessities a week's worth of food, any medications they may be on, a copy of their medical records, including proof of vaccination. In the case of cats, you can get disposable litter trays. So if you do have to evacuate, you'll you'll have a litter box available that you can just dispose of once you're done with that. And then making sure that your pet has some kind of permanent identification. So collar and tags, of course, um, but also a microchip. And then make sure that your contact information is up to date in the national database where microchips are registered. Dr. Teller, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. Thanks once again, Dr. Lori Teller, the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association. You can find out more by going to their website, avma.org. Now, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to meet Dr. Matthew Meisner. He is a urologic oncologist at Geisinger Medical Center in Danville, and he's going to be telling us about testicular cancer on Special Edition. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to Special Edition. Now meet Dr. Matthew Miser. He is a urologic oncologist at Geisinger Medical Center in Danville and the Residency Program Director for Urology Residency. He's going to tell us about testicular cancer. It affects one in every 250 males and some as young as 15. Dr. Meisner, welcome. It is a pleasure to have you here today. And we're going to talk about something that, well, everybody hears about cancer and all the different types of cancer. But today we're going to focus on something that may not be as common, but is still concerning, and that is testicular cancer. Welcome. And how would you like to start? What would you like people to know about this subject? Great. Well, thank you for having me, Paula. Um, This is a a great opportunity to talk about um, this disease for several reasons. Um, Number one, uh, as you mentioned, testicular cancer probably doesn't get as much mainstream press as things like prostate, colon, and breast cancers. But the thing about testicular cancer is that it typically affects young men, uh, even teenagers, and it is highly, highly curable if diagnosed in time and treated. Teenagers. Now, right off the bat, that was something I did not know. Yes. So 
Testicular cancer is the most common malignancy in men between the ages of 20 and 40. And it's the second most common malignancy in boys between the ages of 15 and 19, I guess if you want to call them boys, basically post-pubertal, after uh, the leukemias. So uh, it affects a young age group, and a lot of times diagnosis is delayed. Granted, this has been improving with early detection campaigns, but a lot of time diagnosis is delayed, as you can imagine, for reasons of embarrassment, uh, not wanting to talk about these sensitive areas with either their parents, their doctors, or their friends. So that is one of the main reasons that testicular cancer can actually be delayed in diagnosis. Well, I can understand that because then you're also at that age group where for maybe the first time, they're also going into doctor's appointments without a parent or a guardian because they are of that age. So, wow, there's so many questions now that (laughs) have come to mind. First of all, how would someone in that age group know that maybe they're even having a problem that might need to be discussed? Yeah, that's a great question. In most boys and men and boys in that age group don't typically uh, examine their testicles on, on a regular basis. But the most common presenting sign of a testicular cancer is a painless, keep that in mind, a painless lump or bump that's usually pretty hard that arises on the testicle. Somebody finds something like that. And I would say in that age group, it's probably something like maybe a pimple or it'll go away. That's usually the first thing. I'm sure it'll go away. That, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is the, the thought process of most men who I meet who have this and end up having quite large tumors is they, they didn't think anything of it. They, there are a number of benign, i.e. not cancerous things that can cause swelling in the testicle. The key to this, though, is that you won't notice anything necessarily on the skin um, that would look like a pimple or a mole or a, a, a boil or anything like that. Typically, it's within the testicle ex- itself. And sometimes, you know, when they're small, you're not going to feel it until it kind of comes toward the outside of the capsule of the testicle. And then it will feel if it's small enough, like the consistency of a marble, you know, but they can get quite, quite large uh, if left untended. So now we have someone who does come in and says, I noticed that there's something that's not right. So what's the first thing that happens then? Is there testing? Is it blood work? What would come first? Well, it's good practice to assume that anybody in the age range of basically 15 to 40 with a testicular mass lump bump, especially if it's painless, it's good practice to just assume it's testicular cancer until proven otherwise. So uh, this is one of those things that when we get questions about testicular lumps and bumps from primary care doctors at Geisinger, this is one of the things that prompts a prompt referral to a urologist kind of right away within, you know, a day or two. Uh, And the reason for that is because if it is a testicular cancer, then prompt diagnosis is of utmost importance. And these cancers typically grow pretty quickly relative to other cancers just by nature of their biology. So a prompt referral to a urologist is warranted. And the first thing that we're going to do usually before we see the patient is get a, a testicular ultrasound which is a non-invasive, painless, pretty cheap test um, where they use a sonogram to take a look at the testicles. And that gives us basically a pretty good idea of what's going on. Is there any kind of, because we hear about this in so many other cancers, is there any kind of a familial link? That's a great question. Yes, there is. Patients with a first degree relative who have had uh, testicular cancer are at an increased risk, namely about a threefold risk compared to the general population for developing testicular cancer. There are other uh, important risk factors for testis cancer. So you asked about the familial risk. There's also a personal risk. Obviously, if you've had testicular cancer on one testicle, you're, you're at risk for developing it on the other, although it's rare. Another interesting risk is men who go through puberty but have a history of, before they went through puberty, having a testicle that was undescended. What that means is at birth, sometimes uh, baby boys' testicles don't drop all the way, and usually it's noticed by the primary care or the pediatrician, and it's corrected by a urologist usually before 12 to 18 months of age. However, if it is not corrected, then before puberty, 
then these men are at an increased risk of developing testicular cancer. That just, again, opens up so many other questions <laughs> because, you know. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of guys, you know, you ask them about that question, like, was your testicle, did it not drop all the way when you were a baby? But I mean, most guys have no idea. <laughs> to call my mom, I guess. I, right. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure about that. And exactly. So when you're talking about something like this, it it does kind of remind me in a way of breast cancer because you're talking about a lump. You're talking about something that doesn't necessarily hurt. You're talking about if it's in one, it could rarely, but sometimes be in the other. So what's the first step then once you do have that diagnosis and someone comes to your office and you say, okay, this is what we have to do next. What is that next thing to do? Right. So after we get the ultrasound and do a physical exam and, you know, we are pretty sure that this is a testicular cancer, you know, the patients in the age range will typically draw a set of labs because there are certain tumor markers for testicular cancer. Now, these are basically blood tests that aren't specific for testicular cancer. But if you have a testicular cancer, a lot of times these things are elevated. And namely, it's HCG, which is actually the hormone that we test for to use for, for pregnancy. And then another one is called AFP. It's made by the liver. There's a number of benign causes that can make it go up. But in men with testicular cancer, these two markers, if elevated, will play a role in the treatment plan. So we'll take those tests, those simple blood tests. And then, uh, unfortunately, the, the first step is to do what's called a, a radical orchiectomy or remove the testicle and the blood supply to the testicle in its entirety as the first step. And then at that point in time, is there follow-up with chemo, radiation? That's a good question. So if you have uh, a testicular cancer diagnosed after they remove the entire testicle, about 80% of, of guys will be cured with that surgery alone. There's two different types in general of what I'll call testicular germ cell tumors. There's one that's called a seminoma, and then there's another one that's a non-seminoma, and they kind of have different pathways, different treatments. Seminomas tend to be a little bit less aggressive, so uh, it's less common for those men to need chemotherapy or radiation after surgery. The other form, the non-seminoma, those tend to have spread um, at the time of diagnosis in about two-thirds of patients. So in that case, the next step would be chemotherapy after removal of the testicle. Now, once again, it reminds me of breast cancer because that's one of the things you have a, a mastectomy and you may be getting chemo afterward as a precaution because you may not know where the cells are, even if they didn't show up on a PET scan. So there are so many things, Dr. Messinger, that there are similarities in all these different cancers. And then you're also talking about markers that you watch, which is kind of like the markers that you watch for prostate cancer. That's right. Yes, that's right. And the markers after treatment for testicular cancer play a major role in decision making, as it does after treatment for prostate cancer, just by simple blood tests. Now, with testicular cancer, we can't rely entirely on the markers themselves. So we do regular CAT scans after the chemotherapy or just the removal of the testicle. Interestingly, in prostate cancer, you can rely almost solely on the PSA uh, if it's a certain value after you do surgery or radiation for prostate cancer. Now, sometimes after men have chemotherapy, which is the primary treatment for any testicular cancer that has spread or metastasized, sometimes there's this interesting um, entity um, called a teratoma, which is basically is in, a, in and of itself a benign tumor, but it can grow and spread and potentially change into something malignant. And so after chemotherapy, sometimes guys will have residual masses in their belly, kind of in the lymph nodes around their aorta and vena cava. And so if that's the case, depending on what happens with the, the blood tests and the markers, sometimes we actually, actually have to go in and surgically remove these masses because we don't know if they're benign, malignant, or scar tissue. And then once all that is done, is there anything else that uh, someone in that situation, I know you said you'd have to have follow-ups and things. Is it possible that another area could be affected since they're, you know, just like in other cancers that it can spread? It, it doesn't have to be just in one area sometimes. 
Yes, absolutely. The The good thing about testicular cancer is that the chemotherapy, for whatever reason, now it's it's heavy-duty chemotherapy. It's It's not easy for the patient, but like I said, the patients are typically young and healthy and have the strength to get through it. Chemotherapy is exceedingly effective for these men. We're talking upwards of 90% cure after chemotherapy for even advanced testicular cancers that have spread to the lungs, even potentially the brain. Um, one common example that people use is Lance Armstrong, the famous American cyclist. He had a, a very advanced testicular cancer that had gone to his lungs and his brain, and he got the chemotherapy and, and he was essentially cured. So yes, it is possible for them to spread, but even in that setting with testicular cancer, it is highly, highly curable. That was exactly what I was getting at, at Lance Armstrong. Again, it's just another cancer issue that is so daunting that when people hear just the word, that's sometimes enough for them to get upset. But as you said, this one does sound like the ending is, I don't want to say a good ending, but it kind of is a good ending. Yes. So it's curable. So you're going to live. I mean, it's highly curable. So most men with testicular cancer, even in the spread or advanced stages, are probably going to live. But as you can imagine, you know, there's some some life-altering side effects. You know, you're going to have one testicle, which for some guys isn't a big deal. For others, it is. And we have prosthetic testicles we can always put in. Um, But more importantly is the kind of fertility concerns, Um, not necessarily from having one testicle alone that has a minimal impact on fertility, but the chemotherapy that we use is is highly toxic. In addition, if the patients need surgery, we can actually affect the nerves that control sexual function and can impact uh, a man's ability to to have children. So uh, these are common things that we work through with our patients really right from the get-go with diagnosis. Does that also begin once the diagnosis is made and then follow through from there because you're absolutely right. Just like with any other types of cancers, there are so many considerations. So what would you like to leave with our audience today as far as the the whole idea of from diagnosis to noticing something to all the way to the end for our listeners? I mean, I would like to say that for any any man out there who's listening, a lump or bump in your in your testicle, if you're between the ages of 15 and 40, 45, get it checked out, okay? Most likely, it's something benign. There are very common benign things that happen in the testicles all the time. But if you notice something, get it checked out. Don't wait because, like I said, even if it spreads, it's still curable. But again, the treatment is going to be much more intense. So it's better to know and have an early early diagnosis than than to wait. And when you mention the age of 15, wow. Yes. And what would you say to a parent who has a um, son the age of 15 and here they are is it too soon to talk about things like this? No, it, it, these are these are always really tricky conversations uh, with the teenagers because you know, you're talking to uh, a young man who you know, is looking forward to a life of normalcy and hopefully conceiving children and their parents are thinking of grandchildren and all that. So you're talking about, you know, removing a testicle, which is scary enough, but then potentially needing something else that that can impair their ability to have a family, but it would be necessary to save their life. These are always challenging, challenging conversations, um, but you you have to kind of lay it out as, you know, step by step, this is what we're going to do. We go one step at a time. And we can work through all the potential side effects together, come up with a plan. And it, it usually takes multiple visits to get people to, to kind of understand. But, you know, that's that's why it's important to see, um, you know, see a urologist, specifically urologic oncologists who are specialized in cancer training like myself, um, because we have a lot of experience with this. We're used to, you know, the patients, the, the questions that they have, uh, and we know how to to kind of work with the families to get through it. And you think at this point, too, it's a good idea for parents to talk to their children, uh, especially about things like this that might not be talked about in other areas, but they should be aware of? Absolutely. Especially after um, boys hit puberty, you know, as, they, as, as parents have other sensitive conversations with their children, one that is probably pretty easy, one that I know I'm going to have with my son, he's only two, but when after he goes through puberty, I'm going to tell him, look, you, you, you check yourself. When you're in the shower at least once a month, 
you feel anything weird, don't worry. Just let me know. We'll get it checked out. Maybe it'll be easier for him. His father's a urologist, but I, that's what I would encourage parents to tell their children. Anything that feels weird, looks weird down there, let somebody know and have it checked out. Just like women and self-breast exams in the shower. Exactly. Exactly. This has been a fascinating discussion. I want to I appreciate you being with me. Absolutely, Paula. Thank you for having me. Um, I hope this is is helpful to all your listeners. And uh, I'm always happy to talk about anything uh, urologic cancer related anytime. Thanks once again to Dr. Matthew Meisner, urologic oncologist with Geisinger Medical Center in Danville. I'm Paula Dagnan. Thank you for joining me and happy Mother's Day. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.